If you missed, uh, the, the, for, the set behind me is from last night's Aladdin. Man, they did a great job, I tell you. We, we talked about having you come out of the doors this morning. Well, I know, and I thought about, is it locked? I, oh, there, there's no seat. You took my seat away. My throne, man. But I was going to sit on a throne and preach, but... Um, and so would Martin Luther would say that too. Anyhow, um, turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. Uh, we're picking up uh, soon after where we left off last week. Uh, last week, if you remember, Jesus was, uh, to put it into context, Jesus has entered into Jerusalem the final week of his life. And he is... Um, had that triumphal entry, and he has been um, going rounds with the religious leaders of the day who are trying to trip him up, trying to get him to blasphemy God. Uh, and it hasn't, uh, for them, it hasn't gone well. Jesus has bested them at every argument. Um, and finally, uh, last week, we read how Jesus responds to the Sadducee, more or less, don't be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. And they quit testing him at that moment. They, they gave up the arguments. So we're picking up right after that. Jesus is now speaking with a larger group of disciples. And he's in a certain context. And the context kind of sets the stage. And, and so I want to describe this context to you. Josephus was a historian in antiquity. And he wrote about 40 to 50 years after Jesus died. And Josephus describes temp, the temple, Temple Mount, where Jesus and all this action is taking place in a very descriptive, beautiful way. Listen how he describes the temple in Jerusalem. He says, The exterior of the building wanted nothing that could astound either mind or eye. For being covered on all sides by massive plates of gold, the sun was no sooner up than it radiated so fiery a flash that persons straining to look at it were compelled to avert their eyes as from solar rays. The temple, my friends, glistened for miles around, radiant beautiful. And this is where we pick up in the word of God this morning from Luke 21. We're going to read verses 5 through uh, 19. Listen to the word of the Lord. Now, when some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned, with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, now all y'all, as you see all of these things that you see, the day will come when not one stone will be left on top of the other. All will be thrown down. They asked him, teacher, when will this be? And what will be the sign that this is about to take place? 
And Jesus responded, Beware you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he. And the time is near. Don't go after them. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars and insurrections, don't be terrified, for these things must take place first. But the end will not follow immediately. Then he said, nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, great uh, and various famines and plagues. There will be dreadful portents and great signs in the heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you. They will persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare any defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed, even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Yippee! <laughs> you know, this, this, this Sunday's text, you know, it's one of those where we want to, again, Jesus is reminding us, don't be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Don't be looking for signs of heaven. When's the rapture going to be? Are you a premillennialist, an amillennialist? Are you a panmillennialist that will all pan out in the end? Whatever. Jesus is saying, don't worry about it. Before all that stuff takes place in the future, it's going to impact you me directly, personally. This Sunday's text has Jesus talking to his disciples who, bless their heart, are really obtuse. He is talking about his, his exodus, his leaving, and they at this point still don't understand he's talking about his own death after he's gone. He keeps trying, but they still just can't put two and two together. Jesus tells them that when I'm gone, there will be wars and rumors of wars and insurrections. He tells them when I'm gone, family members will turn against one another and stab each other in the back. He says when I'm gone, you will be run out of all your social and civic clubs. When I'm gone, you're going to be expelled from the temple and the synagogues because of my name. When I'm gone, you're going to be mocked. You're going to be made fun of because of my name. When I'm gone, he reminds us, you're going to be seen as a threat 
to the religious officials and to the civic government, and you're going to be arrested because you know my name. When I'm gone, you're going to be hunted down like wild animals. You will be beaten, tortured, and killed because of me. And when I'm gone, your friends are going to throw you under the bus and will leave you high and dry to figure out life's hardships on your own. You'll know who your friends are. Hmm. Do we really understand that when we say yes to Jesus? Or do we somehow gloss over those realities? I wonder if our Christian followership, our Christ followership, should, might have more meaning if all Christians in the West, in the United States, had to sign an indemnity clause. Now, Dan, I know you're starting to get all excited over here. Lawyer up. Yeah, baby. Let's write this indemnity clause. And, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe Christ followers need to write a sign off on an indemnity clause before they join the church or profess their faith. You see, indemnity, indemnity clauses are signed when one party agrees to hold harmless another party in case there are problems or bad consequences while undergoing an activity or experience. Now, you've signed one of those before, haven't you? If you've gone to the hospital or had a surgery, you've signed an indemnity clause. I'm not going to hold the hospital liable for any stupid thing they'll do. Right. <laughs> That's an indemnity clause. But you, we all sign it. They make us sign it. I remember one I had to sign years ago. I was living in celebration at the time, and I went on this uh, thrill ride in Orlando called the Sky Coaster. And the Sky Coaster was invented by a member of my church, Bill Kitchen. Um, and he was a friend of mine. We rode motorcycles together. And now the Sky Coaster, imagine... Um, you have two giant poles that come together and one in the back. And the, these are 300 feet high. In the sky coaster, there's three of you and you get strapped into this harness and you get a little cable on your back and you get pulled up from the ground 300 feet up into the air until you hit the top of the other pole. And there you are, 300 feet off the ground, 30 stories. And you're just the only thing, there's nothing around you. It's just you and the harness. And you're swaying. And to make it even more exciting, one of you, one of the three, has to pull the cord to release the ride. I ain't going to do that. So my 12-year-old daughter, Katie, God bless her. Come on, Dad. And the Sky Coaster, what it does is you enter into a 120-foot straight free fall to the ground. 120 feet, terminal, you attain terminal velocity. And as soon as you reach terminal velocity in that free fall, it throws you out over the, the, over the rest of the park. And you just go back and forth. And you have to change your pants. And it's... 
And even though Bill was a, a motorcycle riding buddy of mine and this inventor, and it was his ride, I still had to sign an indemnity clause so that if after terminal velocity, things went terminal. <laughs> Not your fault, Bill. We've all signed indemnity clauses. You see, indemnity clauses are signed because they are sober reminders to really think and reflect upon what we are about to do before we do it and before we put our name on the dotted line. They slow us down and make us think critically. Friends, what if Christians had to sign an indemnity clause before we followed Jesus? By promising that, Jesus, I'm not going to hold you responsible for any harm or discomfort, mental or physical, or any other liability I may encumber as I follow you. Some would say that's silly. I mean, how hard is it to be a Christian in the United States today, really? We come to church when we feel like it. We give if we feel like it. We'll go work in the jail if we feel like it. You see, in our culture's eyes, the church in the United States is not suffering very much at all. Christian discipleship in the United States today is marked with a rugged utilitarian individualism. You know, who needs church and community? I don't need you to have my faith grow in God. In fact, you just get in the way. Y'all are a bunch of hypocrites. Why would I want to go to church? The church is full of nothing but hypocrites. And I would say, absolutely, you're right. And we need room for one more like you. Come on. The church, my beloved, in our country, we have made it pretty easy. We don't struggle for our faith much. And yet Jesus is telling disciples, Jesus is telling you and me that before the signs of the end of time come, before the wars, before the famines, before the plagues, you and I, you and I will be persecuted. He didn't say that disciples, that you and I will be inconvenienced. That's the way we see Christianity today. Is it convenient or not? No, Jesus didn't say if you are inconvenienced. He says, when you will be persecuted. Why? Because of his name. Twice in a short few verses in our story today, Jesus reminds us that the faith you and I hold on to is a faith in his name. And that faith in his name will bring confrontation with authorities and will cause people to dislike us? No. Hate us. Hate us. All because of his name. But we protest. You know, I don't like confrontation, Jesus. 
I want to be light, Jesus. Friends, when we follow in Jesus' name, it means our professed faith in Christ matches our outwardly lived allegiance to him in the world. And that means people should notice it. It means that when we say they will know we are Christians by our love, that by, our, by the time we end our praises and worship, and by the time we get to the car in the parking lot, we don't devolve into snickery, snide, grousing, backbiting attacks on each other. Friends, when we sign up to follow Christ, we don't sign up to follow a list of rules of do's and don'ts. That, that's, that's the fact. But what we do sign up for is to say that there is a congruence between my inner life and the way my allegiance expressed to God is lived in the world. There needs to be a congruence between what I say is of value and is important and with the how I live that value out in the world. And friends, if Christians were be really being radical, like we are called to be, the world would be turned upside down. My friends, Alan Culpepper, scholar, he writes, truth is tested and faith is confirmed not in idle speculation but in the crucible of adversity and listen to this this is what he says and I go absolutely he says to those of you in the church today if you wish to find a more vibrant religious experience you should not look for a sign for the future, but for signals that now is the time to live by Jesus' call for obedience in the here and now. In other words, if our Christian life has become too boring or you're not getting fed, look at yourself first. Because it may mean that you and I are not putting our faith out on the line. It may mean that our faith is more cultural than Christian. Yes, my friends, perhaps Christians in America need an indemnity clause. Maybe we need to sign it to remind us that we are <laughs> that what we are agreeing to is that when I say I believe in Jesus, it's noticeable. Perhaps the Christian indemnity form reads like this, and Dan, I need you to help me write this up. But imagine if it looked like this. Listen to it as I go through it, and, and see if you can check the boxes off in agreement. And so from the comfort of your seats, just listen to this this proposed Christian indemnity form that I didn't put together. Jesus did, or Scripture did. 
Let's see if you, we can fill this out. Do you agree, question one, do you agree to be personally responsible for all actions encumbered or enacted by you or someone else if you accept Jesus Christ in Lord and Savior? Now, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it, Dan? I've never been to law school, but I thought that sounded good. Is that good? All right. Do you acknowledge your life, new life in Christ, do you acknowledge that it will be uncomfortable at best and full of hardship at worst? Can you check that box? Can you and I check the box that says, do you acknowledge that by checking the box, you hereby relinquish all personal control of your tangible and financial assets? Ooh. Has Jesus asked me to do that? Yeah. When we're baptized, everything goes underwater. <laughs> Do you acknowledge that you will be discriminated against because of your fealty to Jesus Christ? Do you acknowledge that by signing this form, you publicly agree that there will be a congruence in your life between the faith you profess and the quality of life you live at home, at work, and play, in the social arena, online or otherwise? Will there be a congruence? Hmm. I check in this box. Do you acknowledge that you will be open to public shame, mockery? Are you risking your faith for imprisonment? Or possible death because of the faith you proclaim. That's first century faith, beloved. That's first century faith. What does our 21st century faith look like? Maybe, just Maybe. Our faith should cost us something, huh? Just as it cost Jesus that final week of his life. It cost him because of his name. Because his values, his Godly life was incongruent with the way he loved other people and God. So, for the sake of his name, our homework this week is simply this. We have a question to answer. Maybe you can do it over lunch. Does the quality of my faith Expressed in the world today, does the quality of my faith as it's expressed and lived in the world today, does it even need an indemnity clause? Does 
Does my faith even need an indemnity clause? Hmm. Let's think about that. Pray with me. Holy Spirit of God, Lord, so often we hear this text and we look at signs in the sky and earthquakes and wars and is Russia and the United States Gog and Magog and all this stuff. Lord, we miss the point. The reality is, oh God, that we come today and the story is to remind us that to follow you costs something. It demands something. And Lord... Because of your name, we will wrinkle feathers as Christians, not by being obnoxious, but solely by loving other people in your name. Holy Spirit, come. Speak to our hearts. Amen.